Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Genesis, verse 1, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Verse 6. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters from the waters, separated the waters rather that were under the expanse from the waters and were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, And there was evening, and then there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which their seed each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Verse 14. And God said, let the light lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens and give light upon the earth and it was so and God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars and God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Verse 20. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their own kinds, living stock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
That's our Bible reading for today. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Thank you, Ray. Good morning, church. It's great to be gathered together this morning. Um, We've got an exciting announcement before we get going, and that is today that Josh and Gosher are here. They were here last weekend, but they snuck in and I didn't see them. So they're here today for the second time with baby uh, uh, Grace Elizabeth. And so let's give them a warm welcome today. They're right up the back, so go and meet Grace after the service. She's a gorgeous little girl, and uh, yeah, get to know her. Just to clarify the announcement from a few weeks ago, she's not 9.5 kilos, <laughs> 9 pound 5 ounces, which means that Gosh is still alive, which is really good news. <laughs> so go and meet her after the service. As has already been mentioned, today is a historical day in the life of Follow Baptist Church with our first annual general meeting, and today there are many decisions that are to be made under Christ through the leading of His Spirit. And uh, one of those is the establishment of a, a leadership team with deacons and elders for the first time. And so over the last six weeks, we've been going through a series in 1 Timothy, talking about how people should conduct themselves in God ha- God's household and what the qualifications are of leaders in the church. And so hopefully that's been a good way of preparing us for today. Um, God willing, after today, um, the deacons and elders will be in place and it will be a, a new start for us as a church, a new season that we're heading into and one that we're really excited about. We believe that elders and deacons should be the sort of leaders that God uses to propel the church forward, not as roadblocks, but as people who are led by the Holy Spirit to lead the church where God wants it to go. And so today, in many ways, is a time of a new season. And so it's quite relevant that today we're starting a new series called Beginnings, going back to the very start of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And over the next nine weeks, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 all the way through to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, obviously. Uh, It was written by Moses, and it's an incredibly important book because it introduces us to who God is and who we are in light of that. In fact, the first chapter can be broken down into two parts, really. Uh, Verses 1 to 25 is all about God and Him creating, Uh, Verses 26 through to 31 is about mankind. And so really it's about God and us, and that will be the focus of our first two weeks of the series. God today and us next week. And so the big idea of today's message is to look at the bigness of God. In fact, that's the title of today's message, the bigness of God. And from that big idea, I want to talk about what his bigness means for us in our everyday lives. Francis Schaeffer says these words. He says, Genesis chapter 1 Verse 1 is the most pregnant sentence ever written. I really love that, the most pregnant sentence ever written. We can easily skip over a sentence like this. We've heard it many times. It becomes familiar, things we've heard before. Um, for God, uh, sorry, God, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what Schaefer is saying really is this, that this sentence is something that we shouldn't skip over because it's so full of meaning, so pregnant. Uh, It gives birth to implications for us because it helps us to define so much about God, about our origins, and about why we exist. And so today from chapter 1, the first 25 verses, I want to unpack three truths about God. We probably could have looked at 30 truths about God today, um, but today I want to focus on three for time's sake. And these are three very important truths about God. The first one is this, if you're taking notes, uh, God is eternal. Verse 1 of the passage very first four words of the Bible says, in the beginning, God. God is eternal. Now, God being eternal is not something that we can easily get our head around. Uh, I want you to think about this sentence, God always existed. 
Uh, when we try and imagine that in our brain, when we try and grasp it, we can only get so far with our brains. Uh, we sort of think, yes, God's eternal. He was always there. I got it, got it. I can't quite get it. It's kind of like chasing the wind. We can't kind of get, a, get an idea fully about what eternity is like, that God has always existed. You see, everything we do is bound by time. We talk about seconds and minutes, hours and days, weeks and months, years and decades, centuries and seasons. We ask questions like, when were you born? What time should we meet? How long have you been married? When do you finish work? These are all questions that are driven by a reality that we live within, and that reality is time. And so those three words in the beginning, I think, point to the fact that there was something before time existed before uh, creation came into being, there was something that existed and that something wasn't something, it was someone. And that someone was God. God is eternal. And I think the beginning of time is actually recorded in verse 1. In the beginning, God created. And time is now a construct used by people who are finite beings, but God is outside of time because he is infinite. He always was. He is. He always will be. We can't understand it because we've never existed outside of time, but God does. God is eternal. The second thing I want to talk about today with God is that God is the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there are many different theories, aren't there, about how we came to be what we are today. Um, Let me just focus again for time's sake on a couple of the main ones. Uh, The first one is the Big Bang Theory. Um, You may be familiar with that, and, and there's many people that hold to this theory. And so let me take you to their website to explain what this theory is all about. This is found on the bigbangtheory.com, not the sitcom, um, the actual thing, although they're both a bit of a joke. Um, it says this, the Big Bang Theory is an effort to explain what happened at the very beginning of our universe. Discoveries in astronomy and physics have shown beyond a reasonable doubt that our universe did in fact have a beginning. That we can agree on. It, it wasn't here, it is here now. But prior to that moment, there was nothing. That's where we would differ. We think that prior to that moment, there was God. Prior to that moment, there was nothing. During and after that moment, there was something, our universe. The Big Bang Theory is an effort to explain what happened during and after that moment. According to the standard theory, our universe sprang into existence as singularity around 13.7 billion years ago. Our universe is thought to have begun as infinitely small, infinitely hot, infinitely dense, something, a singularity. Where did it come from? We don't know. Why did it appear? We don't know. It sounds pretty compelling, right, doesn't it? It sounds like something that I want to build my life on. There was nothing, and now there's something, because nothing went bang, and now there's something. It sounds like the kind of worldview that um, seems a little bit illogical to build your life on. I'm going to build my life on nothing, and hopefully something happens, and I'll become something. It just seems a little bit strange to build your life on a worldview such as that, and yet many people in the world today would hold to the Big Bang Theory. The second uh, main theory of how we came to be what we are, can anyone say what they think it would be? Evolution, very good. Evolution is that somehow over millions of years, we have evolved once again from nothing into something that we have through a process of time, um, potentially evolved from one type to another, and we, through the process of evolution, come to the place we are today, a highly complex universe, intricate, ordered human beings, living in an immensely beautiful creation, as Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 says, is vast in its array. And so evolution would say that we've gone from chaos, nothingness, and over time have gone to order 
through a process of evolution. Now, can anyone tell me anything in life where, where that actually happens? Where you have something that's chaos and by itself, in and of itself, goes to order. Um, I just think of my kids' bedrooms, <laughs> for example. And uh, particularly Annika's bedroom. And she says, Daddy, I've cleaned my room. And this is very rare. It's happened twice in her life. But I go into her bedroom and I look at the tidy bedroom and it's great. It's ordered. Things are on the shelf, shoes are away, clothes are hanging up, I can see the carpet, um, so I know what colour it is, which is good. Um, the bed is made, it looks great. And I think, wow, this might be a new chapter in our family life. Maybe Annika is, is turning a new page in her life, and that lasts for about 24 hours. And I walk into that same room the very next day, and I'm convinced we've been ransacked. Someone's <laughs> you know, broken into our house and they've just attacked Annika's room. Either that or they set off a bomb just in that part of the house. And things have just exploded, and it's a big, giant mess. And so her room goes from order to chaos, not chaos to order. You might think, well, that's a bad example because that's a man-made problem. And I would say, that's not a man-made problem, that's a daughter-made problem. That's an Annika-made problem. Um, But I understand your point, and so let me take you to my front yard. I need to mow my lawn. Recently, I've sowed some more seed on my front lawn, and it's taken off, and it's long, and I noticed this morning it's looking lush, but it needs a mow. And so if I go and mow my lawn this afternoon so it looks beautiful and ordered, the question I want to ask you today is if I leave that for two months and don't mow it, is it going to look more ordered um, than it does this afternoon or is it going to look less ordered? Yes, you're nodding your head, less ordered, that's right. In two months, if I don't mow it, it's going to be a mess. And evolution would say, yes, that's, that's right, but if you leave it for 70 million years, it's going to look a lot better. And so over 70 million years, I'm going to try it. I'm not going to mow my lawn for the next 70 million years and I'm going to probably lose my wife and family. Um, but imagine what our front yard would look like. I'm going to be up in eternity looking down at my front yard, watching it become more and more overgrown, more and more chaotic. And I just can't wait for the moment where that stops. And by itself, all of a sudden it starts becoming more ordered until it becomes like the Garden of Eden. Does that make sense? That makes no sense whatsoever. Because things in and of themselves don't go from chaos to order, they go from order to chaos. I watched a video on the internet recently and it was an interview um, by a guy on a university campus in America. And the interviewer was asking students, it's called God versus Evolution, you can look it up yourself. But it was an interviewer asking students and professors whether they were atheists and if they believed in evolution, of which all of those interviewed said yes. It was like a dumb question. Of course we do. And when he asked the question, why do you believe in evolution? The answer was always the same. But they kept saying, because it's scientific. Now, a scientific method is based on the collection of data through observation, according to Science Weekly. The scientists must formulate a theory or a hypothesis based on what has been observed, then design a test by which the theory may be verified as valid or not. Now, Darwinian evolution would teach... Uh, and talk about the changing of kinds. So species can change from one to another. For example, apes change into human beings. And so the interviewer was asking these people that he interviewed for just one piece of observable evidence of a changing of the kinds. And so the first guy says, well, of course, you just got to go back 65 million years. And he said, hang on, hang on, I'm not that old. One piece of observable evidence that will back up a changing of the kinds. And so... As he interviewed more and more people, they gave all sorts of examples. They talked about Darwin's finches, uh, this group of birds on an island that were observed. And over time, their beaks changed. And then they talked about the stickleback fish that changed to, over time, different types of stickleback fish. 
Another person talked about a bacteria changing from one type of bacteria to a different type of bacteria. And so at the end of the interview, he said, to summarise, your evidence for Darwinian evolution, a changing of kinds, is a finch changing to a finch, a, a fish changing to a fish, and bacteria changing to bacteria, all of which are adaption to environment rather than any significant changing of a kind. The purpose of the interview was to get these people to the point where they have to admit that much of what they believe in holding to evolution has to be received by faith, or you can put it in brackets, blind faith, over millions or billions of years, which is exactly what many evolutionists accuse Christians of, blind faith. And so the question becomes, what's easier to put your faith in? To hold to a creation worldview is increasingly seen as a dangerous worldview in our community in our society, a worldview that must be kept out of schools and universities or any place with intellectual integrity, but to hold to the Big Bang theory or to evolution is apparently credible. Now, am I missing something? Am I missing, am, am I the missing link? I don't know. Is there something that I'm not seeing in all of this? Am I crazy to put my faith in a God as the intelligent designer, rather than to put my faith in some sort of big bang explosion out of nothing that became something, or a slug crawling out of the sea and evolving into the intricate, ordered creation of this planet. Because when I look out that window, I see something incredible. Not the train line, look beyond that. I see the sky, I see the trees, I see the clouds, I see God's creation. And, and to me, it looks like it's got some sort of design to it. It looks like it's been put together in a certain way. And so uh, I, I believe the Bible is God's word, but even if I didn't have the Bible and I had the choice between evolution, Big Bang, or an intelligent designer, just logically looking at the world around me, I'd say, that looks like it's been designed. In fact, the odds of it evolving or exploding to be as ordered as it is today, it have to be billions to one. So we look at Genesis chapter 1, and we see where this order came from. We see the creation days, day one to six. I'm going to get a slide up on the screen that that shows God created with an order. In days one to three, God forms the creation. In day four to six, God fills the creation. And so we see that day one and day four are connected. We see that day two and day five are connected. We see that day three and day six are connected. God creates the space. God fills the space. And so on day one, God separates the light from the darkness In day four, he fills that space with the sun, the moon, and the stars. On day two, he separates the water from the sky. And on day five, he fills that space with creatures of the sea and the birds of the air. On day three, God separates the earth from the sea. And on day six, he fills the earth with animals, plants, and humanity, all intelligently and deliberately designed by one creator of all. And so unlike evolutionists or Big Bang theorists, we don't need to guess how it all began. We can simply pick up God's word and turn to the very first verse in the very first book that reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And for me, that's not just God's word. It also makes logical sense to what I see around me. God is the creator. And this passage shows us that he creates by his word. In verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was. Verse 6, and God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water, and there was. Verse 9, verse 14, verse 20, verse 24, verse 26, and God said, 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 and there was, and there was, and there was, and there was, and there was. He created by his word. 
And I think the Bible teaches that his word was Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Colossians 1.15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. What I love about this is that the very first chapter of the Bible, who do we see? We see Jesus in creation. This book is all about him. It climaxes in his life, his death, his resurrection, the fact that he's returning for his people. But in the very first chapter, we see Jesus in creation. It all points to him. It's all about him. From the first chapter to the last verse of the Bible in Revelation, which reads, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. In the Gospels, it's clear that the Jewish leaders missed the fact that Jesus was creating all things. He was there in the beginning, in John chapter 5, verse 46, Jesus says to these religious leaders, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Where did he write about Jesus? Right here in Genesis chapter 1. And so they missed it, but it's so important that we don't miss it, that through Jesus and in Jesus, all things were created in him and for him. And so in this Genesis account, we see the triune, all-powerful God creating all things. God the Father speaking and creating by his word, God the Son and through his word, and with God the Spirit hovering over the waters as we read in verse 2. God creates by his word, but it's important to note that he also recreates by his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness. That's a reference back to this creation account. Make his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You see, before we come to know Jesus, we're broken. We're created in the image of God, but it's a distorted, tainted image by the um, devastating effects of sin. And that image has been so badly tarnished that we are irreconcilably separated from God the Father. But in Christ that can change. In Christ, we can be recreated because on the cross, he died for our sins. He took our sin upon himself. And so that great obstacle that separates us and a holy God is removed. And Jesus says, it's finished. And he creates the way for us to go back into relationship with God the Father through him. And so the darkness of our heart, which is caused by our own sin, is replaced with the light of salvation in Christ Jesus. That's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God is eternal. God is the creator. And thirdly this morning, God is sovereign. In the ancient Near East, there were competing creation accounts. Some of the creation accounts talked about a whole bunch of gods, kind of these corrupt, immoral kind of gods fighting against one another. And it's like a survival of the fittest until one god finally won over all the rest of them and then he became the god that everyone worshipped. That was what some people believed in their creation accounts. Others worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars. They worshipped created things rather than the creator. But Genesis makes it clear in this very first chapter that there's only one god and he has no equal. He has no competition. He created all things. He sustains all 
all things and he rules over all things. God is sovereign. And so in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the waters. God is the eternal God. God is the creator God. God is the sovereign God. And so when we consider the bigness of God, let me finish by talking about how that applies to our lives. How do we apply God's bigness to our everyday lives? Well, first of all, if God is eternal and unchanging, if he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever, then there's going to be great security in putting our trust in him. He never changes. He's not here today and gone tomorrow. He is and will always be. And so I want to ask you this morning to honestly reflect on your own life and your own heart, and ask yourself the honest question, what are the things you put your hope and trust in? It's easy for us to say, oh, I put my hope and trust in Jesus, but let's let's be honest for a moment. What are the things that if you were to lose them tomorrow, your whole life would fall apart? For some people, it's their bank account. For others, it's their career. For some, it's earthly relationships. Some people bank everything on their physical health, that they need their physical health to be happy and fulfilled in life. For others, it's sporting achievements. For some, it's your reputation. All of these are, in and of themselves, good things. But the thing about each of those things is they can be here today and completely gone tomorrow. How fickle are our lives if we are putting all of our hope, all of our trust, all of our faith in those things that are only ever one event, one circumstance, away from completely unraveling one diagnosis? One failed business transaction, one loss of a loved one, one bad mistake, and everything we have our hope in can be completely gone. I want to propose today that putting our faith in finite things rather than the infinite God is a foolish endeavor. And so lift your eyes and put your hope in a God who is eternal. He was, he is, he is to come. If God's the creator, what does that mean for us? Well, I want you to consider creation for a moment. Do you know that scientists say that the diameter of the known universe is 93 billion light years? In other words, they estimate it would take 93 billion light years to go right around our universe. Within that universe, you know, there's a place called Earth. And on Earth, there's these little creatures called ants. Do you know that ants are designed to be able to carry 50 times their body weight? Do you know the biggest creature on Earth is a blue whale? A blue whale's tongue weighs 4,000 kilos. If I could carry the equivalent of an ant, I could carry a blue whale's tongue. It's incredible, isn't it? That these are the things that God created, all from the mind of God. He spoke. It must tell us so much about his creativity. It must tell us so much about his power, that he could speak and what we see comes into being. I mean, verse 16 blows me away talks about God creating the two great lights, the sun and the moon. And then almost like an afterthought, he said, oh, yeah, and he created the stars. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. He created the stars as well. Do you know that scientists estimate that there are 10 billion trillion stars in the observable universe? Oh, and by the way, God created the stars. And he knows them by name. How incredible is God? Consider all that for a moment and park that over there. Now consider this, that the greatest human minds that have ever existed we got them all in a room and we said, from nothing, all we want you to do is create one blade of grass. They wouldn't be able to do it. How small are we and how incredibly powerful is God? He's the creator of all things. 
I mean, I love watching David Attenborough. The footage he gets of animal, the animal kingdom and creation is just stunning. I watch the program and sometimes I just feel like I'm experiencing the presence of God as I see his creativity and his power and the things he creates are just mind-boggling. And yet at the same time, here's David Attenborough who sees in the flesh what I'm seeing on a TV screen and he says, there is no God. I can't understand that. I can't get that because I see God crying out through his creation. It's incredible. I remember a few years ago, I was in Port Phillip Bay on a boat. And I remember feeling really small in a moment because I was sitting on this boat and I looked around me 360 degrees and all I could see was water and sky. In that moment, I thought, man, I am so small. And so zoomed in in that circumstance, I felt so small. But if I was to zoom out, let me tell you, I'd get a lot smaller. One tiny little place, one tiny part of the sea, one tiny little boat, a couple of tiny humans in what seems like a big place. But in the zoom out, it's a speck that you wouldn't even be able to see on a tiny little planet that you wouldn't be able to see. It's so huge, not even starting to consider the solar system, the planets, the stars, the galaxies. God spoke, and it was. And so here's the application. If God created all that by his word, what problem can't he fix in our lives? What circumstances are you facing right now? Can I encourage you to put your hope in him? Who are you believing for that, whose heart is just too hard that they could never come to the Lord? Well, that hard heart, God created that heart. God could change that heart and put in a heart in flesh like that. What, what problem can't God change in our lives? The prophet Jeremiah, while looking at the skies, said, Ah, sovereign Lord, you created the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. We put our faith in the eternal creator God. And as I was thinking about that this week, I felt rebuked in my spirit that perhaps I need to start believing for bigger things. I need to start praying bigger prayers. I need to start trusting in greater ways because God's the creator of all things and there's nothing too difficult for our God. God is eternal. God is the creator. And finally, God is sovereign. And so if God is sovereign over creation, what does that mean for us? Well, if the whole world, all of creation, is being sustained under his sovereign rule, in other words, if you took the earth uh, a couple of degrees on its axis one way or the other, the whole thing would be wiped out. If you increase the temperature here or there a few degrees, we would be completely obliterated, and God controls all of that. Our next breath is subject to the sovereignty of God. All creation hangs on his very word. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. And so if he is all-powerful over creation, he has every right to rule over us. How arrogant for us to think that we have the power to rule our own lives. How quickly does the point of life become all about us? I'm the most important person. It's all about my comforts, my wants, my needs. The world revolves around me. But how arrogant that would be when we consider who God is. It all exists not for us, but for him and for his glory. He's able to rule over us. We think of ruling, being ruled by someone as something negative. Sometimes it can be negative when you have a poor leader. But to be ruled by God is actually the most incredible thing. In a few weeks, we're going to look at the Garden of Eden before the fall, and we see God's sovereign rule over creation, ordered how it's supposed to be, and it can only be described as paradise. Incredible blessing, incredible relationship with God, walking and talking in the garden with him. It's phenomenal. And so being ruled by God is not a bad thing. It's it's the greatest thing. Mark, uh, Philippians 2, verse 10 
oh, sorry, Mark Diva says this, and I really like this. He says, whether God rules over us or not is not in question. He does rule over us. The only question is whether he'll rule over us as judge or as friend. Let me say that again. Whether God rules over us or not is not in question. He does rule over us. The only question is whether he'll rule over us as judge or as friend. Philippians 2 verse 10 says, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's not a question whether he rules over us or not. He does. The only question is whether he'll rule over you as as your judge or as your friend. So the final application of the message is simply this. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and put your life under his sovereign rule while you still can. Because Jesus will return. And when he returns, he's going to judge all of creation. And one day we will all give an account for our lives. Let me read to you Psalm chapter 96. The Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. On that great and terrible day, will God judge you as your judge? Or will he rule over you as your judge? Or will he rule over you as your friend? Because each of us will give an account on that day according to our sin. We will be punished unless we've accepted what Christ did at the cross. He will judge with equity. At the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. And if we've accepted him as the Lord and Savior of our lives, he will rule over us, but not as judge, as friend. Today, as we consider the bigness of God, we must also remember the life-changing truth of the gospel, that we can be in relationship with a God who is eternal, a God who is the creator of all things and a God who is sovereign over creation by his word, Jesus Christ, who says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.